Let's ask God's blessing. Dear Lord God, we are grateful for all that you give us. We'd ask that you'd walk us through this passage in a way that we benefit our individual walks with you. In your son's name, amen. We're in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. All of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4. But it only is that much of the page. The writer of Hebrews, you can have your own theories as to who I'm referring to when I say the writer of Hebrews. Scripture does not let us know. But it could be Apollos, it could be, some say Barnabas, some say Paul. He's writing to Jewish Christians, or Jews, about the supremacy of the New Covenant over the Old, because the Jewish Christians had a hard time with that transition. In the first couple of chapters of Hebrews, he sort of has this uh, panegyric on Jesus Christ, this how much greater Christ is. And so by the time he gets to chapter 3, here at the top first verse of chapter 3, Therefore, holy brethren, who share in a heavenly call, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So he's leaning into a Jewish Christian mind with the importance of Jesus Christ on his hands for the first two chapters. And he's asking these Christians to consider Christ and calls him the apostle and high priest of our confession. Because Christianity is different than Judaism. Judaism was the shadow, the, the prophecy, the type, the preparation for what is Christianity, but it wasn't Christianity. And one of the basic problems in the book of Hebrews, like in the book of Galatians, is the temptation for religious people, always, at all times, in every place, religious people like to do religion. And it is very hard for us to remember, unless we consider Jesus, the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God, the spiritual nature of your walk with him, and to not satisfy yourself with ritual observances or laws that you keep running things. Now we, we talk about that a lot because it is a constant, constant temptation to those of us who are believers. But there's a point here, I'm, I'm not going to, it's not going to be about that this morning. There's something that shows up in chapters 3 and 4 addressing the rest we have in Christ. Because one, sometimes it's, it's easy to not recognize that when we start talking about the importance of Jesus Christ, you could grant all those importances. Okay, so he was a really a tremendous moral teacher, and yes, he died for your sins, and what's the big... Okay, so he's God. What's the, what's the big deal? What, what is the big deal? Is it just so exciting to find out about that story? You say, but it's true. Okay, so it was a true story you found out about. 
some guy who lived 2,000 years ago happened to be God Almighty. That's pretty exciting. Now what? Well, there's a, there's a reason. There's a, there's a benefit. When you see Christ and atonement and mercy and guidance, it is because you need atonement, mercy, and guidance. And why do you need? Because you're a mess. That's why we come to Christ, because we're a mess. We're a moral mess. We can't do anything to forgive ourselves of our sins because we didn't sin against ourselves. We didn't sin against our friends or parents or who are even our enemies. We sinned against God. So we can't shake that guilt without having to deal with God. It seems that we, in this chapter, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the rest that remains for Christians. Verse 2, he was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. So far, they're the same. Yet Jesus has been counted worthy of as much more glory than Moses, as the builder of a house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ was faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if we hold fast our confidence and pride in our hope. Now, that's just the introduction. There's a wealth of things in there that we could be talking about for days, chasing down various references in the scripture about Moses and the tabernacle, the house of God, or operating as a servant versus a son. It says we are his house. I want you to think for a little bit about what a house means. And I, 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 I apologize for that. That was, that was almost head Mikey, you know? That was almost Hawaiian shirt, head Mike stool. Imagine what a house is like. You know, I have a, the overhead projector go, bing, a house on there. I'm sorry if it sounded almost like somebody else's sermon. It wasn't. I was thinking about this out of, out of Paralandra because the, the temptation of the fixed lands, if you've read the book, that the Adam and Eve are facing on Venus. You say, where are we? I never read this book. What is Venus? What? The Adam and Eve on Venus are being tempted by the devil to violate God's rule of staying overnight on the fixed lands. They live on floating islands. Rather than the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it is staying overnight on the fixed lands. And the devil uses the temptation of the benefits of fixed lands. Because as soon as your land is no longer floating on the surface of the ocean, new place, new moment, new terrain, new vision, every moment, 
You're completely an existentialist out there. You're completely in the moment. Nothing more than the moment. And the devil dangles this idea. You can plan what you're going to do tomorrow. If you're on fixed lands. Because things where you put them will be where you put them tomorrow. So like the devil, I am suggesting to you houses have the same benefit. Now it wasn't a bad thing necessarily the devil was suggesting. He was dangling a, a desire that we have. That's the reason we get a home. Why aren't we all just camped out, you know, on a little, you know, up on C and Polk Street. There's a little campfire and having Leslie Wilson and a few residents of their lot sleeping in sleeping bags on the ground. What's so great about those walls and roofs things? Just have to make the fire bigger. I know it's cold, just make the fire bigger. We know that once we enclose a place, it becomes a fixed, ordered circumstance. Some people, not so much. Maybe some of you aren't very neat. So that when you walk through the door of your home, it's not a epiphany of godly order. It is a crisis ready to be put on a reality show called Problem Hoarders or something like that. But you know what it's supposed to be? A house constrains a plot of land inside a wall. I wrote a short essay on this many years ago about why we like cardboard boxes as kids. Because cardboard boxes, my heavens, they're instant kingdoms. There are places where suddenly walls are put, a refrigerator box is, if you could sell refrigerator boxes to kids at Christmas, kids wouldn't want anything else. Could I get five refrigerator boxes, Father, for Christmas? I don't want an Xbox, I just want the five refrigerator boxes. My heavens, it is the beginning of the home. Well, your sister comes to play in it, and then, of course, she wants to draw curtains on the windows and, and do nonsense, stuff like that. But it's your area to command, your area to bring yourself to a state of ease, a state of rest. You could drag your mattress in there, drag some pillows, stuffed animals if you're kind of a wuss. Um, but that's what houses are. Houses are these moments, a moment, a very express moment of your will about how you're going to live. What degree of order you're constraining and keeping the world out, keeping with this world in. Houses are being built, servants are existing in them, sons are inheriting them. And in this case, you are God's house, he is the son, over it. He is the inheritor of it. So, there you have that first image. You are the house of God. Then it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and he quotes Psalm 95, you know, 8 through the end. Uh, I got it on the left-hand side uh, out of the Septuagint because that's closest, if you read the Hebrew uh, um, uh, version in your Bible, it might read a little bit differently. It's just a little closer, so I put it in the Septuagint. Therefore, you. But here it says, 
Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. Suddenly, he just throws that out on you, like, like this is continuity. He was just illustrating how Christ is faithful over God's house, like Moses was faithful. But his involvement is as son, whereas Moses was servant. We are the house and then he gives this warning that comes out of Psalms, so it was much later than the events that it is speaking about. Okay, that's 400 years earlier. David's at 1000 BC. The Exodus, the wandering and the uh, going into the land of Canaan was 400 years earlier. But he wants, the writer of Hebrews wants you to be thinking about something. The point he's getting at is that last line. He wants to point us to the rest of God that we should be desiring. Since we are the house of God, are supposed to be built into the house of God, what are the things that keep us living in the house of God? You could use the word abiding, I'm not talking about, Hebrews 4 is one of those passages, like 6, 10, people look to it for, if they believe in insecurity of the believer, okay, that you could lose your salvation, all right? We're not talking about that. Uh, I know some of you hold views that you could, some of you hold views that you can't. This is all souls, we take all sorts here. But we're not talking about that aspect. I want you to be thinking about merely of it as rest and your desire for rest. And I have a, you know, philosophical theories about stuff. And my basic sum of all human desire is that man wishes to be at ease. That is, that if I was saying, what is the chief end of man? Everywhere, at every time, and everything that is done is so that we can arrive at a state of ease. That's my theory. You can have your own. And so this idea of the rest and being told we shall never enter it, that's a, that's a big deal. And the reason the cardboard boxes registered with me was because I wanted to have this experience of putting things in the place that they belong and setting up my own little thing. I love my house. I love any house. I drive by someone who is doing a home edition, and I almost weep, if I could. To me, you know, women, you understand, you go to baby showers, you pass this thing around, a little peanut called the baby. Everybody makes noises, talks about how the future in piano, long fingers, uh, endless nonsense, but you're excited. Some of you read romance novels. <laughs> They're so in love. I see a home edition. Oh my gosh. That's so great. 
putting up walls. I love that. So for me, my own philosophy, you might not share it. You might say, I question your very sum of all human desire. Go ahead. Spend some time on the issue. I'd be happy to chat with you about it. But here it suggests that the rest, there's something out there that can be given you or denied you. A place of being in God, whether it's salvation or not, but it's it, from being the household of God, where he rules over it as son, and he is warning us not to do what the Jews did. Take care, brethren, verse 12, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, those of you who believe in loss of eternal security, great. Go ahead, run that one down. The, but I'm not talking about that aspect of it. There is a place that the holy brethren who share the heavenly call, verse 1 of chapter 3, can be warned about this state. Having an evil, unbelieving heart that might lead us away from the living God. And if I take the images that have already been given, God rules over his house, his people, as son. And we are his house if we hold our confidence and pride and our hope. There seems to be a place of being in Christ for the believer. Whether you think it's a loss of salvation or not, I do not personally think that. But if you think it or not, there is a way of being in Christ with pride and confidence, guarding against an evil, unbelieving heart that would take me away from God's house. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. And you might ask yourself, hmm, is it still called today? Well, yes, it is. It's today. Still. A couple thousand years later, it's still today. It was a brilliant line. How they could say in the songs that someday never comes. Yes, but today, always. So it's always this instruction, today when you hear his voice. As long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Have you ever watched those hoarding shows? Yes, you have. Don't look at me like you don't watch TV. It's like, it's like driving slowly by a, by a car wreck. You're, 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 you're sitting there in your reasonably neat home, comparatively, and watching someone blankly not even see. The psychologist is there, the kids are there. Mom, we're having to use a bobcat to get into the living room, you know, picking up old pizza boxes. Oh, it's just a little bit untidy. No, it's a mess. Deceitfulness of sin. Because you don't go without housing. You don't go without housing. Some people wander away from the house of the Lord to go dwell in the house of Moses, which is the writer of Hebrews' concern. to live under the instructions of the law. But some people don't even bother with that. They just go out and camp in the backyard. They, just, they don't have 
much of a home, and I'm not worried about the home, the house of it. They have not built that which is a decent house. Decently ordered. Benefiting you more than the outside. Have you ever been in a house that you were relieved to get outside of? That you just, by the time you stepped outside, you said, boy, the yard is a lot more peaceful than in there. You know the difference. The deceitfulness, the hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, there is a place, this rest of God, that he doesn't want us, like the Jews, to fail to believe, to fail to follow him, to fail to do that which is right. He says, don't harden your hearts like they did back then. Because I swore in my wrath they would never enter my rest, and they didn't. They all died in the wilderness. Everyone over the age of 20. They didn't get lost in the wilderness. We go, oh, the 20 to 40 years of wandering lost in the wilderness. They weren't lost in exactly where. It was right over there. There's the promised land. We went up to it once. Got a little frightened. Didn't believe God. God said, okay, well, I'm going to wait till all you frightened types, all you unfaithful types are dead. You will never enter my rest. We don't want to be that kind of unbelieving people. We know, we know, and you probably know perfectly well, if you struggle at all with the household that you live in, we're talking about as the spiritual household, the rules you've made, the, the, whether you're a Judaizer, whether you're a legalist, or whether you're just into yourself an awful lot, there's a deceitfulness that you can't even focus on the embarrassment of how untidy your hoarding is. For we share in Christ, if only we hold our first confidence firm to the end. Again, I'm not getting into whether or not you can lose your salvation. But there is a thing, whichever view you hold, there is a thing of sharing in Christ. I'm suggesting to you to dwell in the house of the Lord, where he rules over it as son, and we are the house that he is making. That's a place you want that you enter by faith and you stay in by faith. He says, we share in that if we hold our first confidence firm to the end. Our first confidence, back when you believed, when you came to Christ. What it is said today when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Who were they that heard and yet were rebellious? Was it not all those who left Egypt under the leadership of Moses? And with whom was he provoked forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should never enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. It wasn't that they didn't know. It wasn't that God hadn't spoken. It wasn't that enough miracles hadn't been done. They had seen it all. They had Moses, they had the parting of the Red Sea, they had manna in the wilderness. It was God 24-7. And they didn't believe him. They were unable to enter this rest. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest remains, 
Let us fear lest any of you be judged to have failed to reach it. Whatever you think it is. I'm just dangling this morning this idea of rest in Christ. Peace with God. The state of ease because that which has been ordered has been ordered by God. The cardboard box, the inside of which God has apportioned. The home in which you dwell in the spirit is that which God has brought order to. That my faith in him has made me obedient from the heart to what he wants. We should be concerned since there is a promise that remains of entering his rest. Now he goes on to argue, for good news came to us, <coughs> just as to them. But the message which they heard did not benefit them, because it did not meet with faith in the hearers. For we who have believed enter that rest. So he's tying the state of, 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 of rest, ease, peace, whatever you want to call it, dwelling in the house of the Lord with the son in charge of the home. That is due to belief. It rests in belief gaining access to the home. It rests in belief in staying in the home. And I'm not equating the home with your salvation. I'm equating the home with the state of enjoyment of the rest of God. Because I know Christians who I believe are going to glory. They're going to die. They're going to get a sheepish look on their face. They're going to walk up to the Lord. And he's going to say, oh man, only by grace. Others, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. There's a difference, I believe, in Christians. They're making choices. They're being warned here to take care about the unbelief and the evil and the deceitfulness. Guarding your faith, guarding your confidence, guarding your pride in Christ so that you can continue to dwell in whatever this home of God is, this house of God is. I want to make, I, I, I'm illustrating it with the idea of the home, but in many ways I think the writer of Hebrews is suggesting temple with it because that's what a temple is, is the house of the God but, or the, the house of a dynasty or whatever you want to... There are different ways of feeling that image. But whatever the case, to admit that we are his house, he rules over it, and abiding in him, sharing in Christ, is something we have to care to maintain. When it says in verse 3, For we have believed, who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. Okay, he's saying, he's saying well, that doesn't make... What he's pointing out here is there is this permanent condition with God that is going to exist as long as it is called today that believers should be pointed to and said, yearn for that rest, do the things that would put you in that rest. Believe God. Don't let your belief get wobbly. Don't get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because this is not the, the rest of God, the Sabbath rest that 
that exists in weekly observances in some people. That's based on the rest of God. He mentions that here. Um, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, which is kind of a great verse if you ever have somebody who's all, you know, uptight about remembering references. Well, my life verse is out of Hebrews 4, um, 4, as he has said somewhere, as it says somewhere in the scriptures, on the seventh day in this way, God and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, Psalm 95, he said, they shall never enter my rest, since therefore there remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he sets a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, are the words already quoted, today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What he's saying here, he's saying that's a really confusing, Fusing sentence. All he is saying is, you know, God made the world in seven days and rested. That made the Sabbath where you commemorate that rest of God every week for every seven days. But God finished with his work and rested a long time ago. Why is he still talking about a rest? First, for Joshua going into the land of Israel, land of Canaan, and then 400 years later, he's using that and saying, you should be warned about entering this rest that wasn't even accomplished necessarily by Joshua. There remains a rest for us to desire. That's why it says today, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not speak later of another day. So that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Not Sunday, not Saturday, not once a week. We're not talking about Sabbatarianism. We're talking about real rest. For whoever enters God's rest also ceases from his labors as God did from his. Now, some people think that that refers us to the after-death experience. You've ceased from your labors. If you stay in this church long enough, you might be the first casket up here when we have your funeral. I mean, it's something to look forward to. But we're not, again, I'm not concentrating on that. It talks about us receiving this rest. We who have believed, back at verse 3, we who have believed enter that rest. We belong to a household of God. Our belief, our faith keeps us in that household of God, and we enjoy the fruit of a life run by the will of God, the Spirit of God, the power of God, because faith has put us in that presence we did not become evil and unbelieving. We did not become hardened by deceitfulness. Because we yearn for rest. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. That no one fall by the same sort of disobedience. And let's just hang on. That's the passage that stuck, stuck out to me. Because it's an encouragement to the saints to strive to enter that rest. Exert some effort 
Not effort of obedience to the law, that would be mosaic. That would be violating the very tone of the whole book of Hebrews. What puts me in the house of God? What puts me in line for the, for the, for the rest of God? It is belief. They were unable to enter because of unbelief. We have, who have believed enter that rest. This is, so you're striving, your effort, you're putting some time into this, is putting time into your faith. I've said before here at church that faith is really a question of lordship because who you believe is who is Lord. Who the Lord decides things for you. Decides things in a way that you go out and carry it out. And so if the only person that decides things for you is you, you are Lord. Your faith is in you. It's infidelity to God. That's why marital infidelity is called infidelity. Is because one Lord is you, know, you chased over someone over here. We can be unfaithful to God when our faithfulness, not because we didn't do something, but we did something in obedience to another Lord. This is something you want to spend some time on thinking about. How do you practice? How do you strive to exercise your faith? You know, because that's what it seems, seems like it rests on that. The rest rests on faith. Who do you believe? How persistently do you believe it? Because we're supposed to hold our first confidence firm to the end. There is a, there's a durational aspect to this. Do I believe once and just consider myself in the kingdom forever and God better make things turn out for me because I believed at camp when I was eight? Or do I hold my confidence firm to the end? Do I measure? You know, you know that's what the word confidence is built on. Fides is faith. F-I-D-E-S. Fides is faith. So con fides is with faith. So your confidence, do you practice it? When you read the scriptures, and I recommend that you do, I was listening to those Proverbs Colleen read this morning. Just tremendous stuff. Just tremendous. Every single one of them you could sit there and meditate on for days. And it's a whole book of those. Wisdom. History. Poetry. Vision. Law. The myth of Christianity. How do you... Do you believe this without question? Is there a SOS professor on campus that has convinced you that you really shouldn't? A SOS professor? Some woman with issues? Or is what God has said believed by you? Strive to enter that rest, that no one fall by the same sort of disobedience. I believe Christians can disobey without losing their salvation. 
but they certainly lose their rest. And one thing you have to be sure of, one of the aspects of, uh, oh, you always see this in commercials. Guy sitting at home, single guy, gets the phone call. I'm down on the street, I'm coming right up. Your girl he likes, room's a wreck. And so he has to go through, either by magic or through amazing gymnastics, he neats up the apartment, throwing everything in the closet, throwing everything. No one wants anyone to see the chaos that is the real you in the faith that you pursued in the Lord that you venerated, which was you. No one wants to have anyone over. Well, the part of place is really not ready for company. And we hide it. We could do that with our actual houses. This is not a lesson on being neater as a person. This is not a lesson on where your faith is, what kind of spiritual home have you built, what kind of house do you dwell in. Have you found the rest of God? Have you just kind of had the train wreck, just a train wreck of a spiritual life, but you went to Bed Bath and Beyond and you bought some little Christian saying by St. Francis, God help him, and hang it on the wall. God bless this house. What are the other ones? Some Irish blessing. Some Irish blessing. You just sort of decorate a few Prop something Christian right on the top of the pile of garbage in the middle of your living room. That's a metaphor, the garbage. Your service to you. Or have you striven to enter the rest of God? To live in his home. To not be evil and unbelieving. To not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And the last thing, one of the deceitfulnesses is... You don't think if you don't have people over, they don't see it. Well, people may never see it. Mm, probably people probably do as you start. You cross various, you know, say boundaries in your spiritual housekeeping. And people start to look at you like, they're not a very strong Christian, are they? Pretty soon, I don't know if they're actually a Christian. You know, other people are losing assurance about your salvation quicker than you are. Because you like you. <laughs> oh, I'm really saved. I'm going to heaven. Everybody's going, no, you're not. No, you're not. If anyone's saved, it ain't you. But they never tell you that. They never tell you. Conversation never comes up. You don't walk up to people and say, do you, do you think I'm saved? And if it's your girlfriends, of course, they'll always affirm you. No, that really does look good on you. Would you want to know? Don't ask me after church. I might not be in a good mood. I might damn you eternally. I don't think now you're going to hell. But are you? Are you ever saved? Do do you have any assurance that you stand with Christ in his house, living by his house rules, with his rest? Your life at rest with Christ. And again, I'm not making that synonymous with salvation. I'm making it synonymous with a great salvation. 
and to let you know that one of the deceitfulnesses of you thinking you won't be noticed and you might be able to do better than others at not being noticed in the failure of your life to honor Jesus Christ. This next verse that we often quote out of context, it's right here. Tells you not to strive to enter that rest, that no one fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, but all are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do You can run, but you can't hide. God sees. The Word of God sees. Whether you think this is the Word of God, this, the Word of God, Christ, it seems to make it personal in verse 13, before Him. That all of this arrangement of life, no one gets to have their own home unseen. You get to have your own home. You can build the house the way you want it. You can try to have the rest. Women often wonder why guys, and I think I speak for all men here, we could just have, again, the cardboard box, we'd figure out a way to maybe get some newspaper, tear it up in little shreds, and sleep in it. Okay? Maybe put a, a blanket we found off a horse over the Because, golly, life would be easier. We know we can make our comforts simply, and sometimes all of humanity functions that way. I, 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 I could be comfortable this way. I could just not look at that so much. I can believe myself over here, or I can believe my leaders in the intellectual world who are telling me how to think about things, not believe God. This rest exists in faith where you stand before the Lord of heaven and earth and accept his household, wipe your feet at his door, and come in and live with him. And if you live someplace else, he sees it all. It just, it, it, it's, it's slicing through you. You're on TV. It's like the Truman Show. Except you're not as nice a guy as the Truman character. It's like, what would you suddenly wake up and knew that every, every action and every thought of your life, everybody was at home watching on TV? Since then, we have a great high priest. Let's remember, he has started this out saying, this is our high priest. Consider Jesus. This is where we're going. We're not going for some utopian Israeli rest. We're not going for some, you know, Christian utopia of rest that is designed by some church or movement. We're looking for Jesus Christ, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So not only does he see what a mess you made of the house,
that he wants to let you know that you're not as special as you think you are. Well, I've got some issues, you know, I got PTSD and I and I'm OCD and I'm ADHD and I've got a lot of other letters I could use if you need them. Uh, God says, nah, you're such a tool. I lived a life just like you. I became a man just like you. And I was tempted just like you, in everything just like you. So I was tempted in more things than you, because you only got tempted in the area you were weak. I got tempted in every way that any man could be tempted, and I didn't sin. So you're not special. It's not harder. You might quote Jim Wilson, it's not easy, it's super easy. Now I know you don't want to hear from Jim Wilson and you come to this church because he doesn't pastor it. But he'll be dead soon. But he still said it. It's super easy. This walk with Christ. Because it's faith. It's not, it's not dangerous. I'm not sending you out the door. I'm sending you out the door just resigned to desire that rest in Christ. And to know that that rest, being in him, stands in your faith. Doesn't stand in your effort. Stands in you bringing yourself before him saying, Lord, I believe you for a change. I listen to you for a change. Because you understand, and I know that everything that I faced and made a muck of because I was running the house, I had my cardboard box out in the yard until it rained. You had been through it all and didn't fail. And since you've been through it all and didn't fail, verse 16, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Everything you've built your life of, Christ has faced. He just subtracted folly and sin from it. You don't. Folly and sin was all beautiful. You had your own house, you had your own cardboard box, you wanted your own room, whatever it is you want to call it, you wanted your own area so you could do what you wanted, and you wanted to do sin. God would like to help you subtract that from your life. He's got grace, and we can have confidence in that grace. We can have mercy, no matter how much we need it. I was just as I was looking over this sets, you know, before the sermon, I was, I was thinking of the last verses of uh, the Lord's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And suddenly made a kind of a, because I had been talking about the house of God in my own mind, preparing the sermon. The verse, I want you to think about it this way. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, your house, your lordship, our faith in it, we'd ask that you would call us to yourself, that we would strive to meet it, to desire the rest that you offer, to hear your words and believe, to look to your Son for the example and the grace 
that we would not be deceived. We will dwell in your house forever. Amen.